0: all right so in this video we're covering part two of the learning environment all right so specifically in this video we're going to go through the second two dashes under the learning environment in the syllabus for core two factors Affecting performance being practice methods so massed distributed whole and part and feedback and the types of that you can receive feedback being internal, external, concurrent, delayed, knowledge of results, and knowledge of performance. Let's go. I'm gonna stand over here for the first part and then I'll move over so you'll be able to write all of this stuff down because yes, I have a blue shirt on. Practice methods, okay? So these are the ways that athletes can practice their skills, okay? so the that we're gonna go through is mass distributed whole and part and you should be able to see same as the previous video that these things work in pairs. So our first one is going to be our massed practice, okay? So massed practice is repetitious practice of a skill with little to no rest. So basically you're doing the same thing over and over and over and over again, okay? Mass practice is good for highly skilled and highly motivated athletes, okay? So those ones that are in the associative and maybe moving to autonomous stage, um, and also ones that are just generally motivated and interested, okay? So think of those characteristics of the learner. So for example, a basketballer practicing free throws for 20 minutes. Doesn't change it up, doesn't, you know, go and do three pointers or layups or doing some running or some drills. It's just simply sitting there on the free throw line, shooting hoops. Okay, next ball, shooting hoops. Just doing that over and over and over again. That's massed practice, okay? Our next one is distributed practice, okay? So distributed practice includes now periods of rest or periods of changing the skill, okay? So now with distributed practice, it is good for athletes who lack motivation. So instead of athletes who just stand there and do mass practice with their free throw, they'll get bored after a few minutes. So they need to change it up. So let's do some you know, let's do some free throws and then have a rest and then let's do some three pointers and do some layups and then have a rest, that kind of stuff, okay? Um, The other thing that distributed practice is good for, unlike mass practice, is high energy tasks, okay? So the other example I've got here is doing a long jump. So if you're a long jumper and you're going to training to do practice and you need to, you know, do your 12 to 20 meter run up, and then jump into the pit, that takes a lot of energy and it's very tiring. Now if you were told to do that 50 times, you'd probably die, okay? Or it would take a very long time if you just do it back to back to back to back to back because you'd be very, very, very tired. So a long jumper, all those athletes that do high energy tasks like long jump, and you can think of heaps of them, will basically do it, have a rest, get some feedback, go again. Do it, have a rest, get some feedback, go again, okay? So that's the difference between mass and distributed practice. And next two are whole and part. So whole practice very simply is practicing the whole skill from start to finish, okay? It is good for associative and autonomous learners who already have the fundamentals down and they can just do the whole skill, all right? So doing free throws in entirety, all right? So starting from the, the bounce, the squat, the release, the action, all that kind of stuff. And a long jumper would be doing their whole practice from the run up all the way to landing in the pit whole practice, very simple. And the last one is part practice. So once again, breaking down um, our whole skill into certain parts we need to focus on. So this can be good for associative learners because if there's a certain point in the skill which they're lacking, they can focus on it, but it's also very good for the cognitive learner who actually just needs to understand all the parts of a task before they can do the whole thing together. So examples keeping with the same theme, free thrower, or a basketballer is just focusing on the ball release, okay, so they're not doing anything, their legs are not doing any dribbling, they're just simply holding the ball, releasing. Get another one, hold the ball, release, okay? Or they could, you know, focus on the actual leg movement that goes along with the free throw as well. So any part related to doing a free throw, you could call part practice. And our long jumper, let's say our long jumper goes to training and, you know, their footwork and where they're landing on the board isn't quite right so they're going to break up the skill and they're just going to focus on the part where they're doing their run-up. Okay so that's all they're going to do they're going to mark out on the track they're going to do their run-up at full speed see where they land see where they end up not landing because they're not jumping um, and then they'll move that marker and they'll keep doing that until they're, they know the exact distance they need to do their run-up successfully. So that is masked, distributed, whole and part practice. One more thing I wanted to add in about practice methods that I just ran out of room on the board for is that a highly effective practice practice method for teaching new skills or new tactics in teams is the whole part whole approach, okay? And yes, write this down and you should write this in your answers. So for example, a coach shows a team a tactical play that he wants them to, you know, implement during their game strategically if they need to, if the situation arises. So that's a whole, okay? So he shows them the whole thing. this player does this, this player does this, and he might do it on a whiteboard or it might show him video footage of another team doing it. Then the coach will break it down so that each team member practices their own, role, their own role. So let's say this player is meant to run diagonally and this player is meant to go behind this player and all that kind of stuff. So instead of doing it all together in one big mush, he goes, player A, you're gonna practice your bit. So can you do this running situation, this sequence for me? And player B, you're gonna do this bit. Can you practice this ball sequence for me? So that's part, so breaking the whole thing down into individual parts and then puts it all back together so that the players A, B, C, and D, they all go back in and they all execute their parts and it becomes the whole skill again, or the whole tactic. Anyway, whole part whole. You can also do that like for just normal, like if we go back to the previous one where I was talking about basketball throws. So you show the athlete the basketball free throw from the, the dribble, the squat, the arms up, the release, uh, sorry, the extension of the legs and the, the hand release, whole then you break it down. So you just practice this bit and you practice this bit and then you practice this bit and then you practice this bit, parts, and then you put it all together and then hopefully the athlete will be able to do the whole thing in a go. Hop, part hop. Feedback methods, and in hindsight, I wish I had done this over two screens because I've had to squish some information in right at the bottom here, but hopefully it's okay. So let's go through it and I'll read it all out, and once again, I'll move my body, etc. First one, we've got internal feedback, okay? So internal feedback is based on proprioception of the athlete, it is information received from your own senses. So nobody needs to tell you this stuff, okay? It's you perform or the athlete performs the skill and they have enough information from what happened there that they know how to adjust for next time, okay? So it's not necessarily reliant on a coach telling them what they did bad, they know why they did bad or they know why they did good. So internal feedback is good for the autonomous learner and it will start to develop in the associative stage, okay? Because that's when they're starting to get the feel for what things are meant to be like, e.g. A golfer feels their head lift during their shot, and therefore they know that's why they, you know, top hit the ball. Next one is external feedback, so opposite to internal. External feedback is therefore provided by a coach, a video replay, players in their team, the crowd, etc. Okay. Um, it can also be just from things you see. For example, um, like I know it doesn't relate to this example, but while I'm talking about it, if a basketballer shoots a ball and it doesn't go through the hoop. Well, they know that like externally that that was a bad shot because they can see that. Now, it is good for the cognitive learner because, and it's actually not good, it's highly important for our cognitive learner to get external feedback because generally they don't know why they're not good. All right? They need to get lots and lots of feedback, so from coaches, videos, etc. cetera. Um, and it's also good in the associative stage as well to just help refine that technique. For our autonomous learners, you can use external feedback when you're looking at things like strategic and tactical development. Alright, so that type of stuff you don't necessarily feel, but it's more about what the coach sees or what the players see and how we can refine that for next time. Example, golfer watches video footage and notices his head moving during the shot as opposed to keeping it still over the ball. So while they didn't feel it during their shot, when they watch the replay, they can see it and they know that they need to focus on that more. Next time. Next one is concurrent feedback, okay? So I'll, and once again, sorry, I should've mentioned it at the start, but you know, all these work in pairs, but also in this situation, most feedback will be like a combination of this, this and this, hang on, let me, let me write that up. Um, So what I was just saying there before I move on to concurrent was that these feedback pieces, they are in pairs, all right, so one will oppose the other. But in all situations, most feedback you receive will be a combination of one, two, and three. So if I give you some feedback, it will be either one of these two, one of these two, and one of these two. I'll give an example of that at the end of the video too. So our next one was concurrent feedback. So concurrent feedback is feedback you're given during the task or the skill. So as the athlete is doing the skill or as the team is performing a movement, their coach will then give them advice and feedback during that movement. It's suitable for all learners um, for different reasons. So in our cognitive stage it is good to help them refine their skill and in the associative autonomous stage it is good to help refine their tactical um, tactics and strategy. So common example Telling a weightlifter to push their knees out during a squat, all right? So let's say the weightlifter's got the bar on the back and they're going down, and the coach says, knees out, knees out, and they go, and that gives them the the cue to push their knees out, all right? So that would be concurrent because they're currently doing the squat. Opposed to concurrent is delayed. So delayed feedback is feedback that you give after the skill, okay? So this is um, mostly used in the associative stage, but it can be used in the cognitive stage as well when we're refining technique. Example, telling a golfer that he should have used a lower club after his shot. So let's say a professional golfer steps up, picks a seven iron, hits it, and it falls like 30 meters short of the green. So then he goes to the caddy and caddy's like, you really, really should have used a six iron. So that's delayed feedback, okay? Didn't obviously yell at him while he was performing his shot. That would be bad, but yeah, the feedback came after the skill. So our third pairing is knowledge of performance and knowledge of results. So the first one is knowledge of performance. So this is information about the movement and the performance, not necessarily the outcome, okay? So these are the things that you you feel or the information that you get about the movement itself, not what you do, or not what happens from what you do. So it's good in the cognitive and associative stage, right, when we're trying to learn our skills Common example, golfer feels that their swing was perfect and the correct speed, All right? So we're not even talking about where the ball went, but during the movement when they hit the ball, they, it felt good, okay? Um, it looked good, so let's say that their coach was also videotaping them, so they swing, they hit the ball, they're like, that felt really good. And then they watch it back on the video and they're like, yeah, it was perfect. So that would be knowledge of performance. And then the last one, is knowledge of results. So knowledge of results is simply information based on the outcome of the movement, not necessarily how it felt or how it looked. So this is better in the associative and autonomous stage because um, basically at this stage we shouldn't be refining a lot of technique, it's more about how did that go. For example, and this is a bit I squished and I'm sorry, but I'll read it out slowly so you can write it in case you can't read it. A golfer knowing something about their technique was incorrect as the ball was sliced, okay? So let's say our professional golfer, once again, steps up to the ball, you know, takes his backswing, hits it. He may feel that the shot was good, but then when he looks up, the ball's traveling off, okay? To the right, over the road, into some lady's house. He's like, well, I'm not too sure why that happened, but I know from my results there that something bad happened. And then you'd go back, you look at the video footage, probably find out what went wrong, correct it for next time. So the last thing I said was that I wanted to give an example of how these things would all play together. Um, I'll quickly rub it off, and then I'll give you that, give you an example. I do two. Let's do two. So three examples here, um, and I haven't been able to do all the combinations, but hopefully you understand and start to get an idea as how they go together. So example number one, a shot putter is told their hand, so remember in shot, if you don't know, you should know by now, but anyway, shot put, okay, shot is against the neck, rotated elbow and, and wrist up. So a shot putter is told that their hand came away from their neck during their throw, and that's why they received a zero score. So in that case, it's external feedback, okay, because they're told something by a judge, Uh, the feedback is delayed because it comes after the shot putter has done their skill and it is a knowledge of results because the shot putter was given zero and they want to know why they got zero because they didn't feel anything wrong, okay? Next one. A golfer feels they swung the club too hard during their shot. Alright, then I'm sure if anyone's ever played golf, sometimes you know you really just want to like hit it, and it doesn't work too doesn't work too well. Anyway, so the golfer feels they swung the club too hard during their shot, so that's going to be internal because it's something that the golfer has felt, not something they've been told. Um, it's going to be. It could be one or the other. We'll call it delayed because they haven't been able to adjust it during the performance. It's only after the performance they've come to realize that they felt the club was too hard. And it's a knowledge of performance this time, okay? Because it is all about how they felt doing the movement and what they looked like doing the movement, not necessarily the outcome. And our third one, a high jumper feels their run up angle is incorrect, so they pull out of their jump. So if you ever watched high jump, you know, they, they get the run up, they do the loop, and sometimes they may not actually Jump and they get to the mat because it doesn't feel right. They're on the wrong leg. They're at the wrong place on the mat, etc. So this is going to be internal because it's something the high jumper feels, right? It's going to be concurrent because they're feeling it during the movement, and because of that, they're able to pull out. So it is a knowledge of performance. Yeah. See so it's all over the place, right? But this, like I said, this stuff will mainly come up in multiple choice as well um, and we will do that practice in class. So that is the end of part two of the learning environment. Thanks, bye.